And thank you all again for that incredible introduction. You know, Jeff was not here on Palm Sunday when I was formally introduced, and at first I thought that was unfortunate, but now I find that it is wonderful because he felt the need to introduce me again. And uh, for the second time, you all have shocked me with a standing ovation. You know, uh, I have had several chapters of life and been in a lot of different roles, uh, but I have never gotten so much credit for doing so little uh, as I have here at Mount Horeb. I mean, I haven't even done anything yet, and I've gotten uh, encouragement for everything. It's incredible. Grace and I spent some time working at First Baptist Spartanburg, which is a huge church, and there they call themselves the Fellowship of Encouragement. That's their slogan, and I told Jeff, I said, working here really reminds me of that, the Fellowship of Encouragement. And I was telling, in fact, it was one of our musicians the other day, I ran to him out in the parking lot, and I was saying, you know, there are ways of operating that God can bless and then there are ways of operating that God can't bless. And Mount Horeb operates in such a way that it makes it easy for God to bless with encouragement and a positive atmosphere and attitude. And I'm greatly uh, appreciative of that. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to proclaim your word. We pray, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit might descend upon this place. May it open our ears and our hearts and our minds. May, we, may you find a fertile place there, Lord such that we might know what it means to build upon the solid rock that is Christ. We pray, O oh God, that wherever the cracks are in our foundation, they might be healed this day, such that we might be able to stand as a witness for your eternal purposes in the midst of a lost and hurting world that desperately needs to know you. Amen. In the spring of 2006, when I was 26 years old, I was wrapping up my next to last year at Asbury Seminary. Uh, as Jeff indicated, he and I did both go to Asbury Seminary and we're both very proud of that. I would like to clarify one thing though. Uh, I have already had two people say to me, oh, you and Jeff both went to Asbury, y'all must go way back. <laughs> when Jeff was at Asbury, I wasn't even born. <clears throat> Okay. In fact, I think Francis Asbury himself might have still been roaming the campus when Jeff was there. He's, he's old as dirt. Anyway, as I was saying, <clears throat> let that be a lesson to you all not to crack a joke on me when I still have the opportunity to speak after you. Not a good idea. In the spring of 2006, when I was 26 years old, I was wrapping up my next to last year at Asbury Seminary, and I was looking ahead to the future, and I wanted to know what I was going to do next. I was not in the United Methodist ordination process at the time, and so my future was wide open, and I was considering a range of possibilities, and I wasn't sure what came next, and so I was looking for a job and all this stuff. And Grace and I decided she already had a job there in Lexington, which is a bigger town nearby, near Rupp Arena. Um, and uh, we liked the area, we loved it there. And so we had decided that I would get a job and we would buy a house there in Wilmore and gain some experience and then go on to PhD work. Uh, now obviously God has changed that plan several times and in several different ways, but that was the best plan we had at the time and so we pursued it. Well, as anyone who has ever bought a house can tell you, we had absolutely no idea what we were getting into. Uh, buying a house is a far more extensive and expensive uh, proposition than you realize before you get into it. You know, it doesn't look like it's going to be that bad, and then you start the process, and you're like, 
man, I'll just rent the rest of my life, you know? Uh, but we, I believe in doing things thoroughly, and so we met with mortgage brokers and real estate agents, and we were searching around and looking at a bunch of different houses, and you know, in the midst of all that, we learned a lot, and we began to think about what we liked and didn't like, what was important and wasn't important, and so we kind of constructed this list, you know, of here's what we're looking for. It took us about 20, 30 houses to do this, but eventually we got it down. Okay, this is, you know, we agree on this. This is what we're looking for in a house. These are the things that are non-negotiable. These are the things that are negotiable, and these are the things that we don't care about at all. Well, finally, we found a house that we were seriously interested in. It was the first one that we had, saw, that we had seen that we were really interested in, and so we were moving forward uh, with the process of buying it. Of course, no house is perfect, and this house did have one significant drawback. It had this hideously ugly light blue pastel toilet from the 1970s. There it is. Now, will someone please explain to me who in the world thought, you know what this house needs is a light blue pastel toilet. Uh, if there is one fixture that should never change to keep up with changing fashions, it's the toilet. I mean, I don't care what's in style, the toilet should just stay white, okay? But, you know, we figured how much could it possibly cost to get a new toilet? We like the house in other ways. Surely we can move forward. So we were moving forward with the process of buying this house, and we had the house inspected, and you know, sometimes a house looks really good and you think this is the one, and then you have the house inspected, and suddenly you find out that maybe this isn't the one. And as we were getting that house inspected, we found out some very fateful news. The house had a crack in its foundation. Now, if you own a house or you're in the process of buying a house, that's about the worst news that you can possibly have. We're talking today in this theme, the beginning of this sermon series on Fixer Upper, we're talking about the foundation, the very first step in uh, making sure a house is worthy of being fixed up. Well, we decided this house was not worthy of being fixed up because of this crack in its foundation. Thank God we found out about it before we moved any further in purchasing that house. Well. Shortly after that, that was still our plan. We were still looking at houses in Wilmore. We found another one we were interested in. We were moving forward with buying it, actually. And we were close to buying it. And then God changed our plan for the first time. Uh, I got a job offer back in Spartanburg serving as a Bible teacher for a ministry that I had been a student in in high school. So now, just a few months later, we found ourselves going through the whole process of buying a house again. Uh, this time we had some advantages since we had just been through the process. We sort of knew you know, what we qualified for in terms of a mortgage, and I was from Spartanburg, so we were already familiar with the community, and we already had our list and so forth. But now we were living in Kentucky and trying to buy a house six hours away, which has its own set of problems and challenges. Well, finally, we found a house that, uh, that we were interested in. It didn't meet all of our criterion, but it met enough of them in some, some specific ways, and we liked it and so forth. And uh, so we moved forward with it. Well, you know, when you move forward with buying a house, uh, you have to negotiate. You know, I'll pay the closing costs. I'll pay this. This has to be done. And, you know, you, you have to be, you know, the offer has to be accepted and, and tweaked and negotiated. It's not like a done deal, you know. And so during the course of that, uh, we had it written into the contract that certain things had to be fixed. And our real estate agent had this friend of his who was a good old boy, and we hired him uh, to do this work for us. There he is. And uh, if you ever need work on your house, you need to get somebody that looks like this because, you know, you can just look at him and tell this guy knows what he's doing. And um, when I first met him, I'll never forget, he was very enthusiastic about my house. He came up to me and he said, the bones of this house are awesome. And I said, the bones? I, I wasn't aware the house had bones. And he said, yeah, you know, the, the subfloor and the frame, the bones, it's awesome. And uh, then he took me down into the basement 
and uh, proceeded to give me a tutorial on what he meant by the bones of a house. He, he went down in the basement and he was looking up at the subflooring and the floor joists and uh, he was like a kid in a candy store. He was all excited. He said, you see that black stuff that's coated in? They don't even let you use that anymore because it has creosote in it. It'll last forever. That's awesome. And then I asked his uh, advice. I said, good, good, buddy. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I asked his advice on the one uh, project that Grace and I were going to do ourselves. The kitchen cabinets were just in horrible shape. They had needed to be stained and sealed like, you know, 20 years ago. They were filthy, dirty, but the wood was still in good shape. And uh, so I said, well, how, do we, how can we get all this stuff off of there in order to stain it successfully? He said, you've heard about gloss. Let me tell you about something called degloss. You put that degloss on a rag, scrub it on there, take anything off, it's awesome. I said, all right, good, buddy. We'll get ourselves a good can of degloss. Anyway, so uh, that was a great experience. We bought the house. Uh, but you know, I, I learned a very valuable lesson that day. The foundation of a house is the most important part. The foundation of a house is the most important part. Now, we don't think about that much, do we? Uh, we tend to think about stuff that's really of secondary importance. But the reality of it is the frame, the subflooring, the floor joists, the foundation, the infrastructure, uh, all these things are really what matters uh, in a house. Now, if you know anything at all about real estate, you know that the, the number one mantra in real estate is location, 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 right? That's the saying in real estate, and for good reason. Sometimes you'll even see that on the signs or on advertisement, and for good reason. You know, is it close to major attractions? Is it close to uh, where the prospective buyer is gonna be working? Is it in the right school district? Is it in the right neighborhood? You know, we all know you could have a great house, exactly what you're looking for, but if it's, you know, 50 miles away, that's not the house for you. Location, location, location. Can you imagine if a real estate agent advertised a house with the slogan, foundation, 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 and you got there to tour the house and they said, yes, here's some overalls, put these on, here's a flashlight, we're going to crawl down in the crawl space, uh, and then I want you to see this beautiful foundation. Uh, the bones, you know, are just awesome. Can you imagine that? I don't think that real estate agent uh, would sell very many houses. But I learned uh, from our experience trying to buy that house in Wilmore that sometimes, you know, we take the foundation for granted. I mean, we didn't have on our list, by the way, the house can't have any cracks in its foundation, you know? We just took that for granted. And that's what we tend to do, right? We take the foundation for granted until there's a problem. But in reality, you can have a house that has a great location. It could be in the most exclusive neighborhood in town. It can have the fanciest fixtures and features. It could even be a smart house with Amazon Echo or whatever that is, instructing the house what to do. And it can have all the greatest appliances and granite countertops and everything like that that you want. But if the foundation has a crack in it, none of that stuff matters because it's just a matter of time before all that fancy stuff is gonna implode on itself, you see? But that's what we focus on, right? We focus on things that are of secondary importance, things that really are exciting and they look cool, but they're superficial. And the reality of it is, if it isn't, it may look great, and it may check all our boxes for what we're looking for, but if it isn't on a stable foundation, it isn't great. And friends, I wanna tell you this morning, what's true in real estate is also true in life. What's true in real estate is also true in life. The foundation of our lives is the most important part. But just as we look at a house and we think, well, does it have this, that, and the other thing? So in the same way in our lives, is it not the case that we all too frequently are tempted to look for things that really don't matter, 
that we're tempted to, to make sure we wear designer clothes and keep up with the Kardashians and drive a nice car and be trendy, have the latest gadgets and gizmos, you know, belong to the right clubs, eat at the right restaurants, send our kids to the right school, and make it look like we've got it all together. But the foundation of our lives is the most important part. And when we focus on things that are of secondary importance, trappings and appearances, things that hopefully are built on a solid foundation, when we focus on those things, and when the storms of life come and we discover that we're not really building it on anything that lasts, anything that matters, you know what, we find that none of that stuff matters. It looks great, but it's not great. It's just like a big fancy mansion with no foundation. It's just a matter of time before things fall apart. I knew a man once, several years ago, in a different chapter of life, uh, who appeared to have it all together. I mean, he was the type of guy you'd look at and say, man, that guy, he's got it going on. I want to be like him. He owned his own business. He came from a very wealthy family. He was married with three sons who were athletic. His wife taught school at one of the most sought-after local schools. They were involved in the community as volunteers. He gave off this appearance of having it all together. But then it was discovered that he was having an affair and his marriage unraveled. And then it was discovered that his business wasn't really that great and he was having financial trouble. And then it was discovered that he had a very well hidden alcohol and drug problem. And one day he put a shotgun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. Jesus said the wise man built his house upon the rock and when the storms of life came, it kept on standing. But the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and when the storms of life came, it fell, and great was its fall. Now, there are three things that I want us to notice about this morning's passage. First of all, identical forces act upon each house, right? The way that Jesus describes the external things that happen to these houses, the house of the wise man and the house of the foolish man, is identical. It's exactly the same. And I can tell you that's not an accident, right? Uh, Jesus says, you know, the, the wise man built his house upon the rock, and here's what happened, and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The same thing happens, but the results are so different, aren't they? Which illustrates the point, does it not? that the foundation is the most important part. And all of us know that intuitively, don't we? We all know intuitively that it's important for us to build our lives and to build our house on a solid foundation, but how many of us actually do it? And we've all seen people who have their life built on the solid rock of Christ Jesus, and the storms of life came, and they weathered the storm amazingly well, and we stand in awe of them. And then we've also seen people that that was not the case, and they did not weather the storms. I dare say, that even in our own lives, we have experienced times where we're walking in intimacy with the Lord and things are going well for us and the storms of life come and we weather them pretty well. And we probably also have even experienced times where that was not the case. Our life was not in order. We did not have things together and the storms of life hit us a lot harder and maybe we didn't weather it so well. So the external things that happen to us in life, just like with these houses, are the same. And what makes the difference is the foundation, because the foundation is the most important part. The second thing I want you to notice about this morning's text, it's not a question of if the storms of life will come, it's a question of when the storms of life will come. Jesus does not say, you know, the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and if some storms came, he better watch out, he better make sure he has insurance, you know? That's not what he says. Jesus said, the wise man built his house upon the rock, the foolish man built their house upon the sand, and here's what happened, right? And we all know uh, there's an air of inevitability in the way that Jesus is talking about this. And if you've lived much life, you know exactly why, right? Because the storms of life come, don't they? 
right? Even those of us that have had a pretty charmed life, you still have challenges and hardships. I mean, you lose loved ones, you've got vocational problems, financial problems, health problems, problems with your kids, your in-laws, whatever, right? Everybody somewhere in their life is going to experience some storms. Now, some of us may be more so than others, but everybody, everybody, if you live long enough, you will go through some storms. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when, When will the storms come? What form will they take? How long will they last? And how much damage will they do? So the importance of building a solid foundation is really underscored by this text. So the things that happen to the house of the wise man and the foolish man are exactly the same, but the results are different. So it is in our life. And in the same way, the second point, it is not a question of if the storms come. It is a question of when they come. And therefore, building our lives on the one and only solid foundation, the rock of Christ Jesus, is of the utmost importance. And the third thing I want you to notice about this text is that Jesus does not say that just coming to church is equivalent to building your house on the solid rock. We wish he said that, right? We have to take notice here. What does Jesus actually say equals building your house on a solid rock foundation, the wise man? He says, he who hears these words and puts them into practice. He doesn't say he who came to church, he who sang hymns, he who listened to Christian music in his car, or he who went to Christian retreats, or he who prayed. I mean, all those things are wonderful, don't get me wrong. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm encouraging all of those things. I'm not discouraging them. We probably need to do more of them. But those things are a means to an end. They are not the end themselves. The end is that we would actually put his words into practice, that we would actually do something with them. And one of the problems that we face in the church today is that we get that confused. We think the means are the end, right? We think, well, I'm going to church faithfully, so I must be building my life on the solid rock of Christ Jesus. We tend to read into the text things that make us feel good. (laughs) You know, we tend to assume that what Jesus must have meant is the things I'm already doing. But that's not what the text says. Jesus said, he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. It's not enough just to hear the words. It's not enough just to come to Bible study and talk about the words. We actually have to do the words. Jesus is actually going for real life transformation. And one of the biggest problems we face, especially in the South, is what I like to call spiritual gluttony. Spiritual gluttony is when we're feasting upon spiritual things but for no apparent purpose, because it's not making any difference. We've got a lot of inflow, we learn things, and that's nice, but then we go home and we're not changed. Our life is not a source of healing and hope to a broken and lost world. And Jesus is not just going for us to show up, Jesus is not just going you know, for us to know what we ought to do in theory, Jesus actually wants us to do it. He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. You know, that's why the Dead Sea is dead. You guys know about the Dead Sea, right? I've been to Israel and I've been to the Dead Sea. If you ever get the chance, you've got to go swimming in the Dead Sea. It's an experience like no other because you float. It's, it's really weird. Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth. Really, really cool place. But you know why the Dead Sea is dead? It's because the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, but nothing flows out of the Dead Sea. The water just stays there until it evaporates. And friends, too many of us are like the Dead Sea. We've got a lot of inflow, but there's not outflow of healing and hope and help for a lost and broken world. He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice can be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And so my question for you this morning, friends, is this. What is the true foundation of your life? What are you really building your life on? And if we were to do a survey of your 
you know, your house, your life, if we were to have a structural engineer come and check it out, would it look like this house? Would it? Would it look like this house? Is your life like a house whose foundation is cracked? You know, you may have visited in people's houses before where you see that the floor is a little bit unlevel and maybe there's a little crack in the wall and you know there's, you know, there's something going on there. It's not like this, but it ain't too good. And I dare say that many of us are in that place where, you know, things aren't falling apart. We're able to keep up the show. Things are okay, but we've got some deferred maintenance, so to speak, on our soul. We've been putting off the things that we know we ought to change. And you know what happens? In situations like that, cracks never heal themselves. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> cracks never heal themselves. No, no drywall ever grows back together. You know, no floor just magically raises itself and says, you know, it's time to get it. And say, the same is true in our lives, isn't it? The same is true in our lives, isn't it? That when we know something is not right, if we don't present that to God and actually do something about it, it's not just going to magically get better uh, and, and heal itself. And some of us, we let it go and we let it go and we let it go until our life really is like this. You know, in, in the church, we play this game called, I'm okay, you're okay, right? We all get dressed up on Sunday morning, we shake hands. You doing well? Yeah, doing well. You doing well? Good. Yep, good. You all doing well? Yeah, we're all doing well. Everybody's doing well. You know, one of the great things about being a pastor is that I know that's not true. One of the great things about being a pastor is that uh, I'm able to see through that. <laughs> Even in the three weeks that I've been here, some people I've already had the opportunity, the privilege, the holy privilege of, of talking with them and pulling back the covers, and I know things are not okay, right? And the reality of it is, even for those of us that are on top of our game and our life is, you know, as solid and stable as it's ever been or more solid and more stable than others, you know the reality is? We all have cracks in our foundation, all of us, me included. Not one of us is perfect. Not one of us, we might say this, but we ought not to. Hopefully we wouldn't. Uh, not one of us could say, you know, I perfectly follow the teachings of Jesus. <laughs> I'm the best disciple since the Apostle Paul, right? Not, not one of us. We all have a crack somewhere. And some of us, our life looks like this, if we're really honest. We don't say that publicly. We present a good front to the church. But if we really were to pull back the covers, we would see that our lives are, are not so good. Our foundation is not so strong. And some of us here this morning are discovering, you know, I've built my life on thin air, on sinking sand. I've built my life and I thought I had it all together and I thought things were going well, but you know, my marriage is unraveling, my job is unraveling, my kids are in rebellion, or you know, I'm facing a crisis and I, and I don't know how to handle it, right? And we discover, you know, maybe what our culture told me I should build my life on is actually a lie. Maybe my culture sold me a, good of, a bill of goods and my friends, and maybe I, I can't trust all that, and I'm, I'm discovering that my foundation is really sinking sand. I thought it was good. And I know for a fact that there's people in this room that fall into all those categories. There's some that maybe just have a few cracks and things are pretty good. There's some of you that are like this. There's some of you that things are totally falling apart. But you know the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus never condemns a life. You know, when a house is like this, it's condemned because it's a danger, right? I mean, nobody has any business living in that house or even setting foot in that house or walking by that house because it might topple over on them. A few years ago, down in downtown Charleston, you know, if there's any way in downtown Charleston that they can save a historic, uh, historic house, they will always do it. But a couple of years ago, one of those historic houses that had stood through the Civil War and the World Wars and all this stuff, one of them had to be knocked down because the foundation was crumbling and it was thought that it could fall over into the street and it was a public safety issue and so they had to knock it down. That's what we do when a house's foundation 
is fundamentally irreparably broken. But Jesus never does that to a life. Jesus never does that to a life. No matter how cracked the foundation is, no matter what a mess we've made of our lives, even if we found we're old and gray and we've spent our whole life building on sinking sand, Jesus never condemns a life. There is always good news and hope and healing in the gospel because Jesus is actually in the business of rebuilding what is broken. Uh, this house could not be fixed, right? But Jesus not only can fix such things, Jesus rejoices in the privilege of fixing such things. When I was at Asbury, one of my primary mentors was the late, great Don Demeray, uh, who taught at Asbury so long that even Jeff had him. Uh, <clears throat> he was there for a long time. Dr. Don uh, was a legendary professor at Asbury, mentored thousands of young people and made a tremendous difference. Went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. I was meeting with him one time and I was just peppering him with questions, you know, because I was young and I was eager and I wanted to learn all that I could and I kind of apologized. And, and he told me a story I've never forgotten about a time when he was a young man and he had done that. He said, Drew, uh, I had the privilege once when I was young of serving as a chauffeur for the great E. Stanley Jones. Uh, e. Stanley Jones, there's a picture of Dr. Jones. E. Stanley Jones uh, was probably the best known Christian in the world before the rise of Billy Graham in the early part and middle part of the 20th century. One of the greatest evangelists, missionaries, preachers, and authors uh, of the 20th century. Truly an elder statesman of, of the church. And E. Stanley Jones came uh, to Asbury to preach, and somehow or another, the young Don Demaray got the privilege of serving as his chauffeur. And he said, Drew, I was just like you, or I was young, I was eager, I wanted to learn and grow, and here was E. Stanley Jones riding in my car, and I knew this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I knew we only had this much time until we got to the train station, and I was just trying to fire every question I could think of and suck the marrow out of this opportunity and learn all that I possibly could from him. And finally, he said, we got to the train station, and, and we came to a stop and, and Dr. Jones was trying to get out of the car and my, my, my mouth was just going a mile a minute trying to get every question and learn everything I could. And he said, Dr. Jones had one foot on the pavement and one foot still in my car. And he reached across and grabbed my shoulder and looked deep into my eyes and he said, Demaray, let God remake you. Let God remake you. I've never forgotten that. And I want to invite you to pray that during this season of Easter tide, as we bask in the glory of the resurrected God, as we bask in the glory of a God who could raise his son from the dead and surely can rebuild our lives regardless of what foundation they are on or how messed up the foundation is. Let God remake you. Would you pray that as you go through your weeks, as you go through your days? God, would you remake me? <laughs> God, would you remake me? Would you send your Holy Spirit upon my heart to show me the places I need to be remade? Because we're not honest with ourselves, right? <laughs> if we evaluate ourselves, we'll always give ourselves a higher score than we deserve, right? God, would you remake me? Would you send your Holy Spirit to penetrate and show me there's a crack here, there's a crack here, or you know what? The whole foundation just needs to go, and that's okay too, because God can fix anything, you see. God, would you remake me? I find in my own walk with the Lord, and certainly as I serve in ministry, just like I said at the outset, there are certain ways of operating that God can bless that are kingdom-oriented, and there's just certain ways of operating that God can't bless. And I find those that never grow, no matter how much they come to church, no matter what they do, there's some that never grow because in their heart they think they've got it all figured out. They've got it all together. They don't, you know, they don't really need God. God is lucky to have them. You know what I'm saying? God can't bless that. 
Scripture says, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And the truth of the matter is, all of us have brokenness in our lives. All of us have cracked foundations. None of us have it all together. None of us have it perfect, me included. And so if we come before the Lord with a spirit of openness and vulnerability and humility, with that attitude that would say, God, I know I don't have it all together. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I know I've got cracks in my foundation. I've got major cracks. Or Lord, I've built on sinking sand, and I want to rebuild on the solid rock of Christ Jesus. If we'll just come before him with that type of humility and openness and searching out and putting ourselves in position through the means of grace, through study, through prayer, through all those means I talked about earlier, moving towards the end of actually being transformed, actually putting his words into practice. If we'll do that, he can heal our brokenness. He can give us a new foundation. It will be awesome.